Audio wrangling is a sister site to audio angling, which allows people with angling and related topics to express them freely, as an insight into what some of the issues were in the early part of the 21st century. My name is Phil Williams, and this is a 2014 recording, in which I'm going to raise a particular weather forecasting grouse of my own. As all boat anglers know only too well, we live by the weather forecast. When you have your own boat and you're looking to get out at every opportunity, studying the forecast to see what might be in the pipeline becomes a natural part of everyday life. For me, it's been like that for many years, to the point where I barely even realise I'm doing it. A very wide range of forecasts are studied, and to an extent, therein lies a problem. If you look hard enough, you can usually find at least some crumbs of optimism and pick out a forecast that tells you at least in part what you want to hear but not necessarily always what you need to hear, because sadly, over the years, experience and disappointments have blown that strategy wide apart on many occasions. The big question is, with so many different and at times conflicting predictions based on data sets coming from a very small number of shared sources, which is the right one to choose? More to the point, why should you have to choose at all? Why aren't they all saying exactly the same thing? And why, on more than a few occasions, will a forecast turn out to be the total opposite of what the actual weather on the day is doing? None of us like getting the boat, bait and butties ready, only to have to turn around on arrival because wind conditions are putting up a nastier sea than was predicted. But relegating that into a secondary consideration is not turning out at all because the forecast says don't go, only to find out later that it was perfectly fishable and that everybody else other than you was out there over the fish. That, unfortunately, is the dilemma of living in land and owning a small boat. But it's also spur a thought for charter boat skippers whose livelihoods depend on getting the clients out. They have parties coming in from all over the country who want to know the evening before whether to make the long early morning trek across. Again, on a marginal forecast, it's a dilemma. Everyone wants the trip to be on, but sometimes nobody can say with any degree of certainty that it will be right up to the moment of the event. Let me throw in a couple of examples. One of a small boat trip that didn't go ahead because of the forecast, and another, unfortunately, that did. The first week in May this year had light easterly winds in the build-up to the bank holiday, supposedly switching to a more south-to-south-westerly direction over the weekend. The Coast Guard and the TV weather both had strong westerly wind warnings in place, building in strength over the Saturday afternoon, then supposedly blowing for the rest of the weekend. So on the basis of that, we abandoned the boat fishing and went over to Morecambe to fish for place from the shore, only to find it was absolutely breathless. It's there that the feeling washes over you. Please let it blow. But no, there's hardly a whisper, and even that comes from an easterly offshore direction. The sea was quite literally like glass and we'd blown it based on the information given. But, we were told, it was still going to come. So again we bailed out the following morning. And again, it turned out to be flat calm. The wind did eventually arrive late Sunday evening, but only after robbing us of two opportunities to go afloat. The second example is of a trip that did go ahead on the basis of the weather forecast, but with hindsight, really, it shouldn't have. This one goes back to January 1988. The tide was a good one, the forecast was excellent, and the big cod were in off Rossell. Unfortunately, I had to attend a meeting in Southport that day and was kicking myself because I knew the boats would be out there and I wasn't. It was breathless as predicted when I went into the meeting. 
But when I got outside a couple of hours later, you could literally hardly stand up. So I thought, ah well, I've missed nothing, and headed for home. It was only later when I switched on the TV news that the full horror of the day started to unfold. The forecast the previous evening had been perfect, and despite what was said afterwards, it was still good first thing on the morning in question. Only part way into the morning did the powers that be suddenly decide to change it, by which time a friend of mine, Mick Riley, and a couple of others from Blackpool South Shore Club had already sailed several miles up to Rossell and were fishing. Then the wind started to come, quickly getting up to a westerly force nine. On top of that, it was high water, and with much of the file being protected by a sea wall, the boats had no other option than to make the long trek back through mountainous seas to the base, where they had sand to come in onto. Mick Riley was the only survivor on that day. There are obviously dozens of less dramatic examples highlighting similar problems. It's not so much a question of why forecasters get it wrong. After all, it isn't an exact science and there are so many extra variables in the mix which can easily tilt things in some direction or other that wasn't perhaps modelled or anticipated. But it would be nice to know why sometimes they get things so completely wrong. And more importantly, working with the same initial raw data, how and why they come up with so many different and often conflicting variations on what we should expect. Who better then to put that question to than the man who writes both the shipping and the inshore waters forecast, Met Office meteorologist Chris Almond. Thanks, Phil. You certainly raised some uh, important questions there. Firstly, I think I've definitely got to agree with you in that there are a vast number of places, vast number of sources of um, meteorological information, especially these days with the internet and so on. The trouble is really deciding which to use. It's worth pointing out that meteorology is not a regulated industry. So what that means is essentially anybody can put out weather forecasts. With that in mind, you should definitely choose the source of your weather information carefully, do some background reading, check the credentials of who you're using. As you probably know, some forecasters put out fairly colourful predictions, often out to months ahead. Um, and of course, it's these ones that are often picked up by the press. So again, always worth checking exactly where the data's come from. That said, meteorology is not um, very straightforward. It's a complicated science, and that's simply due to the nature of the atmosphere. It's a chaotic system. That means that nobody's ever really going to be able to predict the weather 100% correctly all the time. There may still be the odd occasion when things don't go completely according to plan, but the WMO, that's the, the World Meteorological Organization, compares the statistics of us against um, other Met services around the world, and these show that the Met Office is consistently one of the top two operational services in the world. Even though we're recognized uh, globally as a benchmark in forecasting, a sort of center of excellence, we're still continuously improving our models, investing in new technology to deliver even greater accuracy. So now we can move on to the particular complexities of looking at the weather uh, around the coast, which knows where you're interested in. And the shape of the coastline can dramatically alter the wind in a local area. Thinking about sea breezes in particular, now these are caused mainly in the summer and under certain conditions. It's certainly not every day that it happens. But when the land heats up, it sends thermals of warm air up, which then draw in this cooler air from the sea to replace that air. And consequently, what you tend to find is that the wind flows from the sea to the land, and therefore that direction of the wind is going to depend on the shape and orientation of your coastline to a certain extent. 
Also, you probably find that the wind tends to accelerate around headlands uh, if the direction is right, or even when you would think that the winds might be fairly similar if you've got a major Atlantic low, for instance, bringing what you would expect to be similar weather to the whole country, you'll still find that places will be still more exposed or more sheltered than others. And again, that's um, going to depend on the direction. At the Met Office, we've got world-leading weather modelling capability. Uh, UK model now has got a resolution of just one and a half kilometres, and I'll talk a little bit about that in a second. But what that means is it can basically take into account things in much more detail than our competitors. So things like sea breezes, which, as you know, can change the wind direction by over 180 degrees over the space of just a few kilometres, which is why winds can show a dramatic change if you're sort of travelling a reasonable distance offshore. Now, these winds are modelled extremely well on this high-resolution model, even though they're very small-scale features. Now, to put this into context, one of the more popular models available out there, which uh, quite a lot of people will, will probably be using, has got a resolution of around about 28 kilometres, so that's quite a lot larger than our model. Now, what that means is that it splits the country up into these boxes, which are around about 28 kilometres by 28 kilometres, and it assigns each of those boxes um, a specific value for temperature, humidity, whether it's land or whether it's sea, uh, and so on. So it's not got the resolution, uh, as these boxes are so big, it's not got the resolution to pick up things like sea breezes, winds funnelling around uh, coastlands, headlands, uh, high hills and things like that, whereas our high resolution model um, has got a distinct advantage there. Also at the Met Office we've got highly trained forecasters do extensive training before they're allowed to, to forecast and we constantly quality check the model output and make amendments based on our knowledge of the weather, the weather situation, model characteristics, local geography and things like that. Now, we provide a range of forecasts, and they're all tailored towards particular groups or users. Now, the general forecast you see on the TV is obviously the, um, the one that everybody knows, but I should probably point out that not all the channels are getting their data from the Met Office. And that's, again, something to watch out for there. We do things like mountain forecasts, which will emphasize uh, hazards such as winds, um, low clouds, snow. Uh, we do forecasts for gas and electricity companies, supermarkets, and so on. But also, marine forecasting is a large part of our work, so I'll just briefly explain what we do. We've got a dedicated marine forecasting bench in Exeter at our headquarters, and we produce forecasts for a vast area from halfway across the Atlantic to Norway, down to Biscay, and all the sea that lies in between that. Now, probably the most famous one, the shipping forecast, that covers the waters all around the UK, the North Sea, and down to Spain. Because of the size of these areas, we're obliged to give essentially the worst possible conditions in that area for, for obvious safety reasons, which can explain the odd occasion when what's happening at your location, right on the coast, might not be the same as in the rest of your shipping area. For example, if we were expecting gales in the middle of the Irish Sea, the Irish Sea shipping area would have a gale warning out, whereas on the coast you might only be seeing a force three or a four. And that's just down to the fact that we've got to give the worst weather in that whole larger area, which would be the Irish Sea. So the one I think is probably the best for your purposes, the one with the finest detail and the smallest areas, is the inshore waters forecast. Now that's aimed specifically at the smaller vessels, fishing boats, etc., and it concentrates on the areas immediately around the coast. Well, it's, it's technically within 12 nautical miles of the coast, so we can mention things like sea breezes as well. Now the UK split it up into 19 different areas, so there can be much more local detail. Uh, the uh, forecasters use their knowledge, along with the high-resolution modelling uh, capability, combined with the latest observations from around the coast, and, and we put that all together to create the forecast. 
Now these are valid for the next 24 hours and then there's another 24 hour outlook available if you need it. And we use specific terminology in uh, relation to conditions and timings. So for instance, it'll always have a wind direction, wind speed in Beaufort force, sea state, and then usually just one word for the weather and visibility. With timings, we also give an idea of the timing of various things. So for instance, if there was a change in wind direction, we would say imminent if it was within the next six hours from the time of issue. Soon would be the next 12 hours, and later would be within the next 24 hours. So again, that's probably one that's uh, more of use to you. It's worth pointing out again, though, that this covers the area between the, right, the immediate coast and 12 nautical miles off, offshore. So again, we could see a situation where the weather 11 or 12 miles offshore could be um, experiencing strong winds or gales, yet right on the coast might be seeing sort of lighter winds. So it's just something to watch out for, that we have to give the worst condition um, for that immediate coastal strip up to 12 nautical miles, because that's where the majority of our users of that forecast are interested in. Another useful tool um, is the Met Office website or mobile app, and this is uh, becoming more and more the way that um, people are accessing the weather. And it can give you individual forecasts. We've now got 5,000 locations around the UK, so there's bound to be one close to you. Now these again are created from our high resolution model, and these show the expected weather uh, at almost hourly intervals, or is hourly intervals, at any particular point. A word of caution though, I mean, as the conditions can change dramatically, particularly in coastal areas, you should probably use it in conjunction with the inshore waters forecast, and not just rely on one or the other. Particularly if you're moving around, as the conditions offshore might be different to onshore. Finally, the, um, a lot of these free weather sites on, on the internet give you um, these automated forecasts, and they're all essentially driven, like our 5,000 cities ones is, by raw model data. The advantage of the Met Office one is that we're modeling at one and a half kilometers, so we can pick up things like coastlines, sea breezes, topography, and things like that, whereas uh, most of the other free ones on the internet, it's much coarser resolution, so it's not going to be able to pick out the local detail. There's obviously going to be situations where you know, they're just as good as anybody else. Um, it's always easy to remember when a forecast goes wrong, but never as easy to remember when it goes right. So let's say on average, with the higher resolution model, you should be finding that uh, the Met Office app and, and ones that use that data, because of the higher resolution, does give a more realistic picture.